Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40, in the verses that we're about to look at, 15 of them are not very deep. They're not for a great deal of effort on our part. We just got to find, we just got to see the lesson in them of God's power and apply it to ourselves personally. So as we look at the next number of verses, and we've covered the first 11 verses in the first service this morning, we want to look for that lesson of what are these verses here for? From 12 to 26, what is the Lord trying to teach us? And we want to learn that lesson that we can rely on Him and count on Him because He's got all the power, He's got all the wisdom, He's got all the glory to take care of us. No matter what His promises are, and no matter what difficulties you get yourself into, He is able to design a way out, and He's able to deliver you by mighty power out of it. And He's done it for us many times, but this is in the Bible for our comfort, and it's in the Bible for the Jews to realize that what is described in verses 3 through 11, that God was going to visit this planet, behold your God, that He was going to come, that He was going to be like a shepherd, that He was going to come with a strong hand, that He was going to reward His people, and His work would be before Him, and He would do it, and everything about Him was good news of glad tidings, and that it was to be shouted from mountaintops. But to bring that about, Babylon's going to have to be overthrown, Jerusalem restored, the temple rebuilt, and a virgin conceive. And it just goes on and on. The, the things are, are overwhelming if you think about being delivered from impregnable Babylon and a virgin birth and a resurrection from the dead. All these things are part of the glad tidings of the gospel. Because if you go into Acts 13 where the resurrection of the dead is dealt with, it is part of the glad tidings of the gospel. That God just didn't bring and I mean, send His Son into this world to die, but raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places. Those things are all going to take enormous power. And they should believe Him. And you should believe Him. And I should believe Him. That He's able to take care of us by what we have described here. Let me take the next section which runs from 12 to 17, and it's God's infinite power, wisdom, and glory. Now, we've had John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. From verse 3 to 11, it is obviously John the Baptist, Jesus Christ, indirectly the apostles, preaching the gospel in the New Testament era because it's the glad tidings of the gospel. It's God has visited us, and there is born unto you this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I mean, it was transcendent news. And that's why it deserved to be shouted. Men should lift up, preachers should lift up their voices. They shouldn't be afraid. They should tell the cities of Judah, behold your God. The God they had never seen was there in person in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it changes quite a bit in verse 12. And it gives us some wonderful verses of His power. So let's read from 12 through 17. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with the span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? 
Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or being his counselor, hath taught him? With whom took he counsel? And who instructed him? And taught him in the path of judgment? And taught him knowledge? And showed to him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. Amen and amen. The verses glorify God. The verses lift up the omnipotent power of the almighty creator God that is our Father in heaven so that we would never doubt a promise that he made no matter how difficult it might seem. We are on this side of the virgin birth. We know what happened. We are on this side of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know what happened. Try to put yourselves in their shoes. They are captives in Babylon. Let's just choose that for the place where they are where they hear the first real messages of comfort. They heard it before Babylon, but they heard it after Babylon as well. Just think, they've never seen a virgin birth, it's hard to imagine. They've never seen a resurrection from the dead, it's hard to imagine. They've never seen Babylon overthrown, it's hard to imagine. But it's all very possible by the power of God. Why? Because there ain't no one like me. Who's able to do what I can do? This isn't that deep, I can use an eight once in a while. Here. This is, this is for us to glory in God and His ability to fulfill and perform His promises. God's ability to do work, to perform His promises, is just a wonderful part of Scripture. He is able to perform His promises so much, Romans chapter 4 tells us, He can call those things which be not as though they were. He does not need to humble Himself to our verb tenses, because He can call things past tense, because He's able to perform that and do it. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? This is not deep. This is the hollow of your hand. It holds one to two ounces. Our God is able to hold all the waters under the heavens and above the heavens in the hollow of his hand. Who is like unto the Lord our God? We sang a song, who? 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 We kept asking questions in that song. Like Isaiah 40, it is the Lord. And he alone, man has no glory of his own, which we already learned by man being compared to grass and flowers. He wilts and he fades. His plans disappear. He doesn't take root, as we're going to find out when we come to rulers of man. But who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? There is a being that has done so. He doesn't really have a hand, and there's not really a hollow, but it's a metaphor and a figure of speech for us to get a picture that our God is so great that all the waters under the heavens and the waters above the heavens, the waters stored in the clouds in the heavens, are in the hollow of His hand. Do you think He can take care of you? What can He do with water? Well, He stopped up the Euphrates. He can manipulate water any way He chooses to. He can send rain. He can deny rain. He meted out heaven with the span. What is a span? It's this. It's nine inches. Right. The, average, the average man 
It's nine inches. And so it's nine inches. What's a cubit? It's this. Children, Timothy, Benjamin, this is a cubit. From your elbow to the tip of your finger, it's going to be 18 inches on your dad. Don't measure yours yet. That's a cubit. Half of a cubit is a span. And the Lord made it that way to give us a couple of rules of thumb <laughs> to measure something. This is how the Lord measures heaven. What does it say here? And meted out heaven with the span. He measured heaven like this. When we read about this galaxy is this far from this galaxy, or this star is this far from Earth, we just, we kind of fry mentally. He did this physically with his span. And comprehended the dust of the Earth in a measure. This is a vague measure. This is not like the, the other four, you know what a span is, the hollow of the hand, scales, and balance. But this measure, we're not told exactly what it is. Cross-references are not all that useful. There's a couple ways that it can be explained that it's a third. That it's a third of any measure you want to pick, meaning a reduction of anything that you think you can measure, he can measure all the dirt that way. Right. Now, because the word third is involved in this Hebrew word, some believe that it is this. Do you ever pick up anything like this, like pick up some dirt or something? Th three. The dust of the earth comprehended by God that way. And weighed the mountains in scales. We're not talking about Paris Mountain, necessarily, or Peach Mountain that I grew up next to that was a tithe of Paris Mountain. But like Mount Everest. Right. He weighs it in his scales and then he's able to measure hills and mountains in a balance what does it take to use a balance you've got to have a counterweight so not only do you have the weight of all the mountains of the earth you have a counterweight to balance it out to find out how much it really weighs as you stack on billions and billions of tons to find out what the mountains weigh and god wants you there's no one like me I can say these promises, and he can say, because the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it, in verse 5. And he can say, the word of our God shall stand forever, in verse 8, because he can measure the heavens with his span. And he can hold all the waters in the hollow of his hand, and he has a scales and a balance for all the mountains and hills of the earth, and he has offsets for them to find their weight. That is our God. There isn't depth in the verse. It's just, this is me, my children. Delight in my power. There's no limit. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Right. We should never fear. Amen. We should never fear. That was power. Verse 13 is wisdom. Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him? and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding. Who taught our God so that we can identify the limits of the range of his intelligence and his wisdom and his understanding? Because you're not going to exceed your teacher. Not unless there's another outside source, and all outside sources are covered in these two verses. Do I need to read them to you again? 
Who hath directed? So there's someone giving some direction. There's someone teaching. Those are the two verbs in 13. In 14, it's who gave him counsel? Who instructed him? Who taught him judgment? Who taught him knowledge? And who showed him the way of understanding? That's about seven different ways of how knowledge and information, wisdom and understanding are conveyed from one person to another. But whoever taught God those things? No one taught him. He has infinite knowledge, infinite wisdom, infinite judgment. Everything is at an infinite level. We use the word omniscient for these two verses. Science, knowledge. He has all knowledge. Omniscience. The previous verse, verse 12, is power. Omnipotence. All infinite power. He's potent to an infinite degree. And so... If he's got all the wisdom and all the counsel and all the understanding, he can figure out a way to get you out of any difficulty. He can figure out a way to bring Jesus Christ into this world through a virgin. He can do it all, and he did do it all. Put your trust in him. Here's what we're fighting against. I'm going to jump ahead. I told you it might be the most important verse if you want the practical value of the chapter. It's verse 27. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord? He doesn't see the trouble I'm in, and my judgment is passed over from my God. He's not going to defend me. He's left me. He doesn't know the pain that I'm going through in my life. Just That's how we think. He's forgotten me. I'm not important enough in the big scheme of things for him to rescue me. And so this is a question as well. Why in the world are you talking like that? Because that's at the end of these 15 verses that we should be delighting in, that there is no limit to his power or to his wisdom. You know, we could have spent time on how much does Mount Everest weigh? It can be calculated. There's an estimate of its volume. And you can measure the, the mass of dirt and rock. But that's intellectual curiosity that sometimes I want to avoid because I just want you to get the bigness for the faith instead of this. Sometimes we want this, not just an intellectual look at it. And see, sometimes we can be satisfied, our intellectual curiosity can be satisfied with some big numbers that are pretty cool sounding. But what I want is your faith increased so that when trials and temptations come, you can mock them. And they could mock Babylon. And they will. And God could mock Babylon because he was going to rescue them from the great city of Babylon. Let's come to verse 15. Behold. And here's the issue. Here's what the Jews were afraid of. Nations had pummeled them. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket. In the sight of this being, around this being, When this being gets near the nations that you're so afraid of, the nations are but a drop in a bucket. Do you know the Bible has given us so many of our little idioms in our language? And it's wonderful. And here's one of them, a drop in a bucket. Well, that's what God thinks of when he looks at the nations like Babylon or Assyria. And those were empires. And they were conglomerates of nations. But behold, 
Stop and think about this, view this, and consider it well. The nations are as a drop of a bucket. What has given us cause to think, verse 15, what is in verses 12 through 14? Because he is so great in power and so great in wisdom. And no one's taught him. And the answer to all these rhetorical questions is, no one has taught God because he has infinite, transcendent wisdom and understanding and power. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket. I hope that we'll always remember that when we read political news. And the nations are counted as the small dust of the balance. The drop of a bucket is the moisture left in a bucket that does not count in the weighing of a five-gallon pail. A five-gallon pail weighs 40 pounds of water. There's eight pounds to a gallon. But that little bit of moisture in between. So you can go get a pail, dump it, Go get a pail and dump it. Go get a pail and dump it. And you can say, I know exactly how much I put in there because the moisture you carried back is immaterial. And the nations are immaterial to God. And on a balance, when you put something on one side and put the weights on the other, you don't, first of all, clean it, polish it, worrying about the fine dust on it because that fine dust does not alter the weighing of it. The fine dust doesn't influence the result because it's immaterial. It doesn't matter. And so the nations to God are immaterial. We should believe that. We, our God's in heaven. Our Father's in heaven. He's watching every little bit of our nation and every other nation on earth. And he's got all the power of 12 through 14. So he can talk about America and our biggest enemies the way he talks in verse 15. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. What isles? Cyprus? Crete? Sardinia? Malta? Sicily, Britain, North American continent, doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. But here's what I want, here's what I want you to look at if you trust your King James Bible. Behold, he taketh up the isles. Is that a plural? He taketh up the isles. So we could throw in Cyprus, all of Greece. Greece is referred to as isles sometimes. Crete, Britain plural. He taketh up the isles as a very little thing. Singular. (laughs) I just love it. Yes, I do. I love every word of God. That he can use a plural, all the isles, just stack them together. He takes them all up as a very little singular thing. They're nothing to him. So we shouldn't get alarmed by political news. And the Jews should believe everything he promised in verses 3 through 11, that they were going to come to pass. Verse 16, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn. Lebanon is still called Lebanon today. It's north of Syria and Israel, and it's where all the forests were, and it's constantly described as their beautiful trees in the forests of Lebanon, over and over. So that is where the most wood was. Much of Judah was cultivated, and Israel was cultivated, and it didn't have forests like the forests of Lebanon. But if you were to take all the trees in Lebanon, and it was known for its forests, and build a big fire from them, it's not a big enough fire for the glory of God. So in verse 12, we have power. In 13 and 14, we have wisdom. And in 16, we have glory. The power, wisdom, and glory of God is all here. That's not enough wood to kindle an altar for our God and all the beasts hiding in those trees in all of Lebanon is not enough for a sacrifice to the glory of our God. Right. And he just wants us to, to see, 
infinite power, infinite wisdom, infinite glory. That's our God. Do you have a problem with him? I love him. I love these features about him. I love the details he wants us to think about, but I want the lesson that no matter what, God is with us. Amen. And he's got all the power, and he's got all the wisdom, and he's got all the glory. Amen. Verse 17, let's sum up. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. When God looks at all nations, not just Babylon, not just Assyria, not just Syria, I'm thinking of those nations around Israel, not just Egypt, all nations before him are as nothing. He's so great in power, wisdom, and glory. They're all nothing. And when he asks for an accounting of them, Gabriel, go give me an accounting of the value of all nations on earth. It's a negative number, my Lord, God Almighty. It's a negative number. Is, right? Is it less than nothing? It's a negative number. And we worry. That's my God. That's my Father. All nations before Him are as nothing, and they are counted to Him less than nothing and vanity, which means worthlessness. Right. They're nothing. They're like nothing. They're less than nothing, and they're worthless, all nations. Now that puts us in our place. That puts us in our place. Jews, I have some comfort for you. Your punishment's over. I'm going to send Messiah. He's going to be God in the flesh. He's going to visit you. It's the best news I've ever given. Behold your God. Here's how I'm going to be able to do it. I've got infinite power, infinite wisdom, infinite glory. Trust me, I'll get it done. Then we come to verses 18 through 26. God's infinite superiority to idols and rulers. What about those gods they worship? What about those gods they give all the credit to for Babylon's victories? And they did. Remember Sennacherib mocking every god except his own? When he went home, he went into the house of Nisroch, his god. But he mocked every other god. What do we do about their idols? What do we do about their rulers? They have some powerful men, well-trained men, very successful men, like Sennacherib and other rulers of the Assyrian Empire or the Babylonian Empire, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of kings, in God's opinion. What do we do about those enemies? Okay, I'll give you a few more verses, is what the Lord tells us through Isaiah. I'm going to give you verses 18 through 26, and here we go. It's, did you notice that verse 12 is so different from 11? 11 is a shepherd carrying lambs. 12 is a God measuring out the water of the universe in the hollow of his hand. Is that, that kind of different? Isaiah jumps around, and here's another jump. After that power and so forth, he wants to compare himself to idols. Now just, just try to imagine that we've got something over here on the table. It's a couple feet high, and you're all going to go genuflect before it and, and before you leave today. The, the, the trust in a graven image. He just wants to take care of that in case you're worried that Babylon's God might pose some difficulty for the Lord Most High to deliver them from Babylon. Right. To whom then will you liken God? If I'm the way that you just read in verses 12 through 17, to whom then will ye liken God 
or what likeness will ye compare unto him? What are you going to make to represent me? The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth, and he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither. And the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will ye liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Amen. Lift up your eyes on high, and behold who hath created these things, that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might. For that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Amen. And then we get that question we don't want to ask in our lives. We want to trust the Lord. And we don't want to ever ask, I think the Lord's forsaken me. I don't think the Lord will help me. I don't know if he even cares or knows what's going on in my life. He's got it all under control. Right. Let's come back to 18. What kind of an idol are you going to make for me? Because Romans chapter 1 tells us that they make images that are like unto men and beasts and creeping things. They have to have something. Listen. The human imagination, unless it's Picasso, the human imagination is limited to something that it has seen. Right. And so they make God by something they have seen. But you've never, we've never seen this being, and, and he's so big as what we just described. What image are you going to make that's like me, that represents me? What are you going to put over here on the table that makes you think of me? To what, what, what are you going to liken me to? I, I want you to notice the questions are in verse 18 and 25. And so we've got it sandwiched in here about idols. And he's going he's gonna to end up with one, oh, P.S., think about the stars. Okay, that's 26. But we've got 18 and 25. 18, to whom then will you liken God? Because every idol is made after some likeness. You know, the pantheons of the Greeks and the Romans were after men and women. Different, you know, Jupiter and Zeus and Apollos, they men or beasts or creeping things. You know, we've got a sphinx over there in Egypt and the things that men have made. To whom will ye liken God? Or what likeness will ye compare unto him? That's 18 and 25. To whom then will ye liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? And in between, God through Isaiah has explained what idolatry is. What is idolatry? It's looking up in the yellow pages to find a craftsman that can make you something, and God has given men the ability over 6,000 years to be able to make stupid stuff. Right. <laughs> Verse 19, the workman, that is a craftsman that can take metal, melt it, and form it into a graven image. So that we've got some little icon 
woman, man, dog, lion, bull on our table as our idol. The workman melteth a graven image. He melts some metal, pours it into a mold, and makes a god. The Lord's going to get better. I told you, Isaiah 44 has been my favorite for 50 years. Yeah, I'm that old now. The workman melteth a graven image, and then the goldsmith, you got to take it, now that you've got it formed, you got to take it to a goldsmith to get it coated in gold so it's pretty, pretty. You know, it had the right shape. Now it's got to have the right prettiness. So the workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver chains. We want some silver accents on our God. So we've got ourselves a little bull. I mean, bulls are strong. A bull's like a tractor. Where there is no ox, the crib is bare. So we've got a bull in our home, or a bull in our neighborhood, in pagan, in, in pagan nations around Israel. It was made by melting metal and pouring it into a mold, taking it to a goldsmith, because gold is, has unique malleability. You would not believe how far gold can be spread, and it will not pop a hole in it as it is spread. That's why there are office buildings in some cities, and I'm thinking of Southfield right now, that have all their windows covered with gold, and it doesn't take that many ounces to cover a 20-story building with all of its windows in gold because gold is so malleable. That was free. What we're working on in verse 19 is we've got an image of a bull. You take him to the goldsmith. He's able to take a tenth of an ounce of gold or some small amount and coat it over with gold. And I'd like a couple silver accents on that thing. Could you make a couple silver chains to hang around its neck? So you've got the, oh, bull. You're welcome. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. We'd be lined up at the craftsman if it wasn't for the grace of God. Or you'd be the craftsman and I'd be paying you. And we'd be working together. I thank God through Jesus Christ for the verses 3 through 11. Those nine verses, the Apostle Paul put a hurting on craftsmen of this verse. Do you remember? Our craft is in danger. That is some of the most exciting words in the Bible of the coppersmith, Alexander the coppersmith, getting together and having a meeting of his trade group and saying, our craft is in danger. Praise the Lord. That's because what comes first is the Son of God. And Paul was sent out. Did Paul preach boldly? Did Paul get up in mountaintops and declare, behold your God? He did it in Mar on Mars Hill. That's a mountain for us in Athens, Greece. Thank you, Lord. So that's verse 19. So we've got a pretty gold bull with silver accents, some silver chains. Verse 20, here's a guy that can't afford metal, gold, or silver. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation, he can't get a nice fancy God like that. He chooses a tree that won't rot. So he looks around for some hardwood. He seeks unto him a cunning workman that's good with a chainsaw or axe, chisel, to prepare a graven image out of that tree that he found that shall not be moved. And it is called a totem pole. And if you would just go, Timothy, totem pole. Just type it into Google search box. Totem pole. I did it with Nan. 
I want her to see. Because sometimes we forget what the Indians used to worship. Because this is a tree. It tells us it's a tree. It's not going to move. It's in one place. But it's had a craftsman on it, cutting it, carving it, until you've got that face, you've got some ears, you've got eyes looking out, you've got a mouth. It can't do a single thing. It's as dumb as bull. But it's a tree. This is, a, this is my God. This is how my God writes the Bible. And he, he likes this kind of stuff preached with a loud voice. Because he sent his son. And his son, do you, do you want to hear about him? He came with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. His reward is with him, and his work before him, and he's going to finish it. And he did finish it. That's my Jesus, and it's your Jesus. Amen. And we can trust him for life in this world, in all aspects, and eternal life in the world to come. Amen. Is he strong enough for eternal life? The curtain of death, he went through it for you to show that he's got it down. He went right through it himself and rose from the dead. Yes, he will take care of us. Verse 20, this, this guy's so poor, he's got to have a totem pole. Okay, the Lord asked in 18, what are you going to make me look like? What are you going to make that's going to look like me? You going to try some little bowl in verse 19? You going to try a totem pole in 20? And now he mocks them. Because there is in this universe, by creation, by providence, by conscience, and by revelation, the knowledge that there is a Creator God. Right. Have ye not known, you idiots, you idolaters, have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth that there's a Creator God? The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day into day utter His speech, and night into night showeth knowledge. Why don't you guys know all that? It's been preached in every language, every dialect. It's preached every day, every night. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6. Why don't you know that? Why are you going down the street after the yellow pages told you what address to get yourself a little bull? Have you not? Oh, we know. Do you know by creation? When you look out there, do you know there's a God? Do you know by providence in the way that he has dealt with the affairs of America and the affairs in your life? Have you had some providential blessings in your life? Amen. Yes, we have. How about conscience? Does your conscience remind you when you sin that, that you've been bad and he could be mad? How about revelation? Look what we have right here in front of us in Isaiah 40. We are blessed abundantly Amen. to know this God. We do know, we have heard, it has been told us, and we've understood it from the foundations of the earth. My father, I thank, I'm thank, I thank God that he knows about a creator. His father was converted to believe in a creator. Let's make sure our children and our children's children know about a creator. Right. This God that is speaking in verse 18, to whom then, what man, then will you liken me, or what likeness, are you going to try a bowl to compare to me? Haven't you heard? I'm bigger than that. Verse 22, it is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. This is Isaiah 40 and verse 22. The earth is not a flat box. You're not going to fall off the edge of it. It's a circle. It's a sphere. And the Lord created it. And it hangs like a ball in the universe, a, blue, a beautiful blue ball, which we've been able to see with pictures taken of it. And God sits on it. 
He, he owns it. It's just a little possession of his. It's 8,000 miles through in diameter. It's 24,000 miles around at the equator. It's enormous. He sits upon it. The circle of the earth and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. He looks down at the earth and you running around your business and going into your house and looking through it and saying, the majesty of my palace. And he says, you're, a, you're grasshoppers. We're all grasshoppers in his sight in this way. We're his children by adoption through Jesus Christ. But when he's just looking at the earth and looking at us and our natural abilities and our natural plans, we're grasshoppers. This God stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. The heavens are just a place that he inhabits. He inhabits eternity. He inhabits the heavens. Oh, that's dimensions I can't handle mentally. It says he inhabits eternity and he inhabits heaven. One is space and one is time. That's the answer. Amen, because it's both true. And a whole lot more dimensions that we can't even handle. What are we going to be told when we get there? Some things that are not lawful to be uttered on earth yet? Verse 23, that bringeth the princes to nothing. I want, you to, I want you to look closely at the end of 23. Is there a period there in your Bible? Please don't tell me yes. There shouldn't be a period there at the end of 23. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. I mean 22. Is there a period at the end of 22? There is one at the end of 23. My, some of you are thinking, what Bible is he reading from? <laughs> 22, I'm sorry. I want you to notice how it's connected. Right. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. This is the God that is going to bring about, verses 9, 2 through 11. And the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in this great being, that bringeth the princes to nothing, he maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. This God has you as his special child, and no, all the nations are nothing, and he is going to bring the princes of those nations and the judges of those nations to vanity, right. worthlessness. Comfort ye my people, my people. God is going to send his son, which will be God in the flesh, to you, and you will behold him. He will deliver you from Babylon, and you will rebuild the temple of Solomon that has been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, and he will visit that temple. They will crucify him, and he will rise from the dead. Who will deliver us from Babylon? Who can get us out of the clutches of, Bab of Nebuchadnezzar's family tree? This God that sits on the circle of the earth, he is the one that brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth as vanity. It was fearful to face a Sennacherib. It was fearful to face a Nebuchadnezzar that would say, when my praise band pipes up and you do not bow down to my image, I will throw you into the fiery furnace. His ferocity and his ability to execute anything he said, who will deliver us from such men? No problem. We are going to do our best at the polls. I can say that. We will do our best at the polls, and we will trust the Lord for the result. Amen. Because we believe verses like this, and it gives us great confidence. It gives us so much confidence, we act like we're calloused and we don't care. But we're not calloused and we do care, we just are full of faith. Amen. Faith looks calloused to those that don't have it. But our God's in charge of all the political scheming and all the political 
achievements and all the political events of this world. He bringeth the princes to nothing. That's another word for vanity. They're worthless. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Then listen to him explain exactly how serious he is about it. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth, and he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. They're not, he's, it's, it's all about a plan in verse 24. The whole 24th verse is about a plan. It doesn't, it doesn't develop a root system. It never makes it. He blows against it, just blows it away like stubble. It's just a, a glorious expansion on verse 23, which is what you have in verse 24. Where's Alexander the Great today? Where are his descendants today? God blew against them. And at 33 years of age, he was wiped off this earth. And his wives and his sons wiped off the earth. Thank you, Lord. We, can, we have a great God. Amen. And he doesn't want us to fear. Nothing can hold him back. Let's just keep praying for our nation and praying for us in this nation and the righteous in the nation so that he'll have mercy upon it. Amen. And so verse 25, he wants you to know that he's been on this line of reasoning about idols. To whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? I can whip anyone. Rulers don't mean a thing to me. They're like stubble. I just blow them away. Oh, one more thing before I leave, he, the prophet says for God. One more thing before I leave to the next point. Lift up your eyes on high. Amen. Go outside and look up. Preferably at night. And behold, who hath created these things? Amen. Look up who created these things. Right. And this is a plural. Because that bringeth out their host by number. The sun rises, stars don't rise, they come out. And they come out at night when God says, Hey, boys and girls, do you want to come out tonight? He calls them all by name, and he brings them out. And we look from one horizon when we're in a good place without street lights, you know, Lake Hartwell or someplace where there's not too much competition, from one horizon to the other, all the way back, all, the way, all these stars. He brings out the host by number. Right. He has them numbered. He is in complete control of them. How many stars are there, Pastor? Let's go with Wikipedia. 100 billion trillion. 100 billion trillion. Write it down sometime. It's got a few zeros. Does this, can you see that this is sort of like a little PS? Because he's going to jump to a question in verse 27. Lift up your eyes on high, go outside, look up, and behold who hath created these things. Zach and Adam, you're closer to these things by a couple thousand feet anyway. And you shouldn't have too many lights up there where you two guys are. You should be able to see this host. And, and the Lord wants you to think about it. Lift up your eyes on high. Do you want to be sure that I'm going to be able to perform my promises? Go outside at night and look up. Lift up your eyes on high. Behold, who hath created these things that bringeth out their host by number? He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might. For that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Amen. His light bulbs don't go out, and he knows them all by name. And it's by his power. And he brings them out every night for us to remind, Hey, hey, I can do it for you. I can do it for you. Look up. Look at that. 
And when we read about the size of those little specks of white light, the size of them, and find out that our sun is a miniature light bulb, compared to them, we're blown away. Some of you should remember an adult couple's retreat of oh, quite a few years ago. I don't even want to think about it. Where Jeff brought a little study on how many stars there are. And for those that are, have an accounting mentality and like to think about numbers, stars are an interesting equation. And just to think about how many there are, and this, this verse is, if you're wondering if I'm able, just go outside, look up at night. Why speak? Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel? My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. Somehow he's lost me. I don't matter anymore. The Assyrians have battered me. Babylon's battered me. We've been here for 69 and a half years now in Babylon. What good can happen? How can we ever get out of this place? The might they have, they dominate the world. How are we? He's forgotten me. Now, we're not in Babylon, but we sure make our Babylons in a hurry, don't we? we don't ever say these things. Don't ever say them. Don't think them. He never forgets. He hasn't overlooked anything. He sees more about your life than you could even handle if he were to tell you about it. He knows everything about you. He is going to take care of you, and he is going to defend you and save you. Because when it says, and my judgment is passed over from my God, that doesn't mean he has forgotten to beat me. He has forgotten to punish me. That's where the word judgment is used, like it is at the end of Psalm 58, in a positive way. He has forgotten to defend me justly from my enemies. Judgment is used that way often in the Bible. This is, a, this is someone saying, why isn't God helping me? Why isn't he defending me against my enemies? Why has Babylon destroyed the temple in Jerusalem and just continues on? When's it going to come to an end? Has he forgotten about me? I am not going to make up any other illustrations for you right now, but every single one of you know that there are circumstances in your life, I have them in mind, where I can wonder, has the Lord forsaken me? Is he no longer blessing me? I don't want to talk that way because I don't want Gabriel to say, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God. So let's believe him. God said it. That settles it. If you need the middle part, we'll stick it in for you. God said it. I believe it. That settles it as far as I'm concerned. But whether you believe it or not, if God said it, that settles it. Because he's got all the power. He's got all the wisdom. He's got all the glory. And he will not share his glory with another. And so here's his answer to those questions of verse 27. Hast thou not known? Now he is moved. Notice, this is Jacob and Israel. Do you know who was back there in verse 21? Idolaters. Idolaters. He's proving he's better than pagan idolaters. Now he's proving that he can handle his doubting people. Because it said Jacob and Israel in verse 27. Jacob and Israel, hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, there's his name, that is his memorial forever, Jehovah, his memorial forever, Exodus 3.15, 
The creator of the ends of the earth fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He has infinite, perfect, complete knowledge of all things, all persons, and all the circumstances of your life, and he has all the power to deliver you from every one of them. Trust him. Don't ask questions like that. Have you forgotten? Were you never taught? Let us make sure we teach our children and we teach each other like a dear woman that left us a few months ago. God is in control. The Lord is in control. The Lord is in control. He knows it all and he has all the power. Let's encourage each other that way so that things close to home, things that are personal, and things away from us, like political things, we don't worry about any of them. This God, this everlasting God, this Lord Jehovah, this creator of the ends of the earth, not the creator of things next door in your garden, he's reminding them to think about far away in the earth, to get the expanse of the size of earth. When you don't have planes, it's big. The expanse of the earth. Think about the ends of the earth. He's created it all. What's close and what's far away, it's all formed by him. This God fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. So how can we take that? He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Verse 29 is ability and the lack of ability. Verse 30 is circumstances, and circumstances so bad they can hurt even a young man in the prime of life. I want you to notice the difference here. 29 is lack of ability. You're facing a situation where you don't feel able. You don't feel like you can do it. That's 20. He giveth power to the faint. You're just tired. You're exhausted. You're whipped. You're beat. You're intimidated. You're overwhelmed. He giveth power to those people and to them that have no might. He increases strength. I've never done that before. I don't think I can do that. It terrifies me. Verse 29 is ability. Verse 30 is not ability. It's circumstances so difficult that even those with ability, he will crush with those circumstances. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. I will bring trials and tribulations sufficient to humble young butts who can ordinarily do anything you ask them to do, I will bring them down and they will fall. So 29 is when you don't feel that you have the ability. Verse 30 is when the circumstances are piling up and accumulating and you don't think you can handle them and that they would crush a normal person and they're coming in your life. But... We have an inspired disjunctive. We have something opposite the lack of ability and something opposite circumstances that are overwhelming because this great God, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth is able and willing to help you. But there is a condition. And Isaiah 40 is conditional. This is not candy to be passed out at some dime store of some little rug or tapestry that somebody can take home or hang from their visor in, in a vehicle. This is only for one category of people. Right. Just like Psalm 91. If, if there was unlimited time, we would go look at Psalm 91 right now and realize 
that all those promises in Psalm 91 are only to those that make the Most High God their hiding place. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. It doesn't matter if you don't have ability to begin with that God puts you in this world with only a partial deck of ability. And we all have only a partial deck of ability because all we have to do is look a little bit around us and somebody has more ability than we do in some area. So we've got a partial deck of ability where the circumstances are overwhelming, but they that wait upon the Lord, and what does it mean to wait upon the Lord? It means to trust Him. It means to trust Him. Just put your trust in the Lord and wait on Him, and He will deliver you. Just, just trust Him. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will be able to overcome the circumstances of 30. They will have strength they didn't know they had. In verse 29, He'll renew their strength. He'll give you new strength, extra strength, strength you've never known that you had. They, these people that wait upon the Lord, shall mount up with wings like eagles. You'll fly over your difficulties. They shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint. It doesn't matter how far you've got to go, you won't faint because God will give you the strength for it. It doesn't matter how far you and hard you've got to run, you will be able to run through a troop and leap over a wall by the God that's going to give you the strength and you can soar right up on the air that He gives. Eagles do not like to flap their wings. It's too much effort. They just do that to get going. And then the Lord lifts them up on thermal drafts. And they, it's unbelievable. You can soar like an eagle with the, Lord, with the Lord beneath your wings and do not corrupt my words by thinking of any stupid song. The Lord beneath my wings lifting me up over my trials and my difficulties and giving me strength and renewing it. I can run. I can walk. I can soar. It doesn't get me down. It's not going to defeat me. The Lord's going to defeat it. Amen. but they that wait upon the Lord. When trouble comes, what do you do? You wait upon the Lord. You go tell tell Him, I'm yours, Lord. We're yours, Lord. Everything is yours. You can take it all away. Just don't take yourself away. Because if we have you, we have everything. Right. And when that happens, to the person that is still in 29 and to the person that is still in 30, because you haven't learned to fully do 31, the person that is in 31 appears to be callous to you. But they're not calloused. They just have faith and they trust God completely. And nothing else and no one else matters compared to God. Don't judge those that appear calloused because you don't know. But join them by getting out of 29 and 30. And let's all jump into 31 and believe it. And soar above our problems and run and walk and never faint or get weary. And the Lord will deliver us because he sits on a circle of the earth and he measures the water in the hollow of his hand. And if you forget any of this sermon tonight, when it's dark, go outside and look up. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.